0: Hello, and welcome to Shame Spiral. I was so excited to spiral out this week with Nicole Georges. Nicole is a writer, illustrator, podcaster, and professor. She has been publishing autobiographical comics about her queer, vegan life for 25 years. Seriously, starting out as an adorable, angsty little teen making handmade zines, and now she is a full-on Professional graphic novelist. We love that for her and we love it for us. Nicole has published two incredible graphic novels, including Calling Dr. Laura and Fetch How a Bad Dog Brought Me Home. And she has a new book out right now called Dog's Breakfast, which is an anthology of diary comics, including 12 issues of her zine, Invincible Summer, and more than 10 years worth of rare and never before seen stories about love loss, teaching, joking, being a grouch, drawing graphic novels, dog death, and starting over. You can also listen to Nicole on her podcast, which is called Sagittarian Matters. I love it. It's one of my favorite podcasts. It's about queer art, advice, vegan food. If any of those things are your jam, or honestly, even if they're not, you'll love it because Nicole is absolutely lovable. She's brilliant. She's the best. So first shameful thing that I obviously need to address for this week, my voice sounds like shit. Luckily, when I recorded this episode with Nicole a couple of weeks ago, that was not the case. So you'll only have to endure this for like one more minute. It's embarrassing. I don't know why. Why is being sick embarrassing? I blame capitalism. But it is, it is, and I am sorry. But my other shame story for this week oh boy, it is a bad one. Like some weeks, I really have to dig for something. As soon as this one happened a couple days ago, I was like, oh damn, that is for the episode. So I'm going to try to tell you guys about it without saying too many words just because of this whole voice situation. Basically, I was running late with my family, taking my two-year-old daughter, Birdie, to her little toddler soccer class. And I was like stressed and distracted because we were late and I have ADHD. And I backed up and didn't see that there were a couple people in the crosswalk behind me. And they were immediately like, hey, like stop. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And I stopped right away. No one got hurt. But then this guy like semi-aggressively came up to my window and like asked me to roll it down and kind of started yelling at me a little bit and was like, I don't even really know what he said. I was kind of in a fugue state, but he was basically just like, be careful, be careful. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But then when he didn't accept my apology really, and he just kept saying like, be careful, what I've realized since is I just totally went into like, white man is yelling at me, I am being scolded. I was basically having like a teenage daughter dad moment. And at one point, I was even like, "What do you want from me, sir? What do you want from me? I apologize to you. Meanwhile, I realized, like right after I said that, this man was like younger than me, but it was just it was bad. And then, as he was walking away, I saw that he had a toddler in a stroller. And I immediately understood on a new level, why he was that upset. He just went into like Papa Bear mode. And I get that. And I just felt an immediate onslaught of shame because I should have just apologized, acknowledged that I made a mistake and accepted his anger, which was coming from a place of fear and not gotten so defensive. But I just didn't, like I got triggered and I just didn't, Handle it the way I would have wanted to. So I was really upset. And then as we were walking to the soccer class, I was just feeling bereft. I was like, I wish I could make it right with that guy. And then I was like, I wonder if he's going to be a parent in this soccer class. And I kind of hoped that would happen, but I also really hoped it wouldn't happen. We get there, he is in the soccer class. So I felt insane. But then I was like, be a grown-up, be a grown-up Ellie, the grown-up that you are. And I walked over to him and I was just like, dude, I am so sorry for what happened, for my actions back there, for my reaction, for my defensiveness. I had no idea you had a kid, but even if you didn't, I really should have just done everything I just told you guys that I wished I'd done. That's what I said to him. I wished I had done. And he was like, no, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have been so intense. Like I was really freaked out. And I was like, I totally get that. And it was a little awkward, but also we had a nice repair. And the funny part is like, I apologized and made amends and acknowledged the harm I'd done so profusely. But even, even after I walked away, I still felt like I owed him more of an apology, which I guess is just my shame for having made such an error in the awareness that somebody could have gotten hurt, which is like my worst nightmare ever. And I just feel like, wow, I'm going to have to confront that shame every time I take my two-year-old to soccer. And maybe that's good because maybe it'll ensure that I absolutely, no matter how stressed and distracted I am, check my fucking rearview mirror before I back out of a space in a busy Brooklyn street ever again. So that's it. I'm going to stop subjecting you to my horrible voice now. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. So without further ado, let's start spiraling with Nicole Georges. Shame, burning in my brain. Always in a frame And I've only myself to blame Shame Wishing I could forget my name And crawl back up from where I came I'm going down the spiral once again The shame spiral oh,
1: The so rock do you i feel i'm having family issues family health issues going on under the surface mm. so i was like is this the best day for me to talk about shame spiraling mm. and i was like i don't know maybe it's the best it could be the best day or the worst day mm-hmm. and we'll find out together here on shame Spiral." <laughs> <laughs>
0: is it'll be a qualitative research study just to answer that larger question through your own, through mining your personal experience. Do you find in general, like, are you someone who's inclined to kind of reach out toward others and process out loud what you're going through for relief? Or or are you more likely to like bottle and contain until you've worked through the worst part?
1: I mean, both. My whole life is like, transforming bad circumstances into like diaries that I publish and memoirs Mm -hmm. and podcasts that I publish. So that's reaching out. Uh, But I am slowly having to learn through the grace of anonymous fellowships that I'm not alone and that I can reach out to my fellow travelers (laughs) in life about things that are hard and that they'll reach back. But that's like, I have to remember, I have to be like, like, I have to be like, you know, crying in a corner by myself being like, I'm, I'm alone, I'm alone. And then it will dawn on me that other people care. And that that's like the whole reason why I do that.
0: Oh, my God. It's so hard. I also am blessed by um, membership in an anonymous program for a long time. And um, I... never want to reach out for help. And I've been in a little shame spiral for the last two days, because I went to a meeting a few days ago, and then I was actually compelled to like, message someone and like, ask for support. And then they wrote back right away. And they were like, okay, like, call me every day. And I've been in recovery for 13 years. So I'm not like, new to the point where i'm I, i've i've fallen out of calling people every day yeah and they were i was like okay i will i'll call you tomorrow have not have not called for the last three days and i'm just the longer i go without calling the harder it feels it's so fucked up that would eat me alive <laughs> it's
1: eating me i'd alive. be like i'm letting them down they think about it just as much as i do surely <laughs>
0: exactly like in my fantasy they're sitting around right now being like ellie's such a piece of shit asked for my help doesn't even want it what the fuck is wrong with ellie meanwhile they have not thought about there is no way that they have been thinking about me
1: probably maybe like once a day they're like hmm wonder how that person is Uh."
0: yeah and then they move (laughs) along they move the fuck along what so I mean what before we started recording you were saying that your life has been kind of replete with shame spiraling and shame and so tell me more about that like what what's your general relationship with shame like what does it look like
1: well i grew up with a mom with limited skills and undiagnosed mental issues so mm-hmm. when i was a kid like medical neglect would happen. And then it was set up as my responsibility. So like when I was a toddler, my teeth all rotted out from bottle rot and had to get like ground down and like capped. And it was like a huge deal. And then I, and as an adult, I was having horrible tooth problems. And I was like, mom, I am having all these tooth problems. You know, I need thousands of dollars of dental work. And she was like, God, I wonder, I wonder why you have such bad teeth. And I was like, well, remember when my teeth rotted out as a baby? And she said, you, you just loved that bottle. And so it was like, but like, that's how everything, like I had like yeah. horrible stomach problems for like 10 or 12 years that no, no other people don't really have like consistently shitting my pants in public shame, consistently going to the mm. hospital, never going to school. And my fa- my mom would think like, once you're done doing this, like, one, like it just like the intervention was, to work around it as if I was disabled or something like not like it was like a long term disability that I once I decided to snap out of it. Then I could, but it was like it was brought on me like as a little right, kid, right, right. it was like, well, if you just want to go to the bathroom in the right place, this won't happen, which is not really how that kind of thing happens. Like if I met a 10 year old now yeah. that was like shitting their pants and pretending they didn't. I would be like something, something deeper is going on
0: here. I know
1: it's like really hard to be an adult and then see kids that think they're hiding something, but they're not hiding something.
0: I know to be like, wait a minute. Totally. When
1: I was a kid, I thought I was hiding that so well. I was like, nobody knows (laughs) if I don't move, the smell won't move. (laughs) And like, I am just like going to stay very still and like be in a corner and like, no one will know this thing happened. And like, now as an adult. Like when I would teach middle school, I'd be like, You know everything that's happening in that tiny room full of children.
0: Oh, yeah. Like kids like what?
1: Pick their nose and put their hand in front of their nose because they think you can't see it. And you're like, I can see you picking your nose. Anyway, so my entire life, I was like hiding, hiding, hiding. And I thought I had control over that, too. So the shame is just like it's like layers and layers and layers and layers of shame.
0: Because I would imagine as a real as a really young kid, especially, did you internalize Like the way that your mom implicated you as the reason for the problem. Did you internalize that gaslighting? Yeah.
1: I mean, really through a different anonymous fellowship that has to do with people that grew up with parents like this, I'm like, and even, I mean, I've been in therapy for 20 something years and I'm slowly uncovering the ways where like the responsibility was put on me and that I took it on where I was like, well. There was something wrong with me. And that, and I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. But so then also it was like, well, why can't you fix this? What's the matter with you? Yeah. So, this like medical, psychological things going on, there must be something really wrong with you. Instead of being like, you're the person with the least power in the room
0: over what happens to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if you're sort of groomed to believe that all problems begin with you, that's such. That's so difficult to rewire. It just gets in there so deep.
1: Which is why I have to go to these rooms full of other people that grew up the same way to be like, yeah, because I used to think that control meant like, I would just imagine like some man grabbing a woman by the arm being like, I'm controlling you. Don't wear slutty clothes, bitch. (laughs) Like, that's what control meant. But then I started going to, you know, different (laughs) therapeutic programs where I was like, oh, no, me controlling situations looks a lot different than that.
0: Definitely, I know the whole idea of in my program of like being the director, mm-hmm. which for for people who don't know, and I, we won't talk like recovery the entire time, I promise, but it's the idea that like you are like the puppet master, you know, <laughs> and you're you're like, I have a movie in my mind, and I am controlling every single beat. And like, if you don't act according to the script that I wrote, that is a problem. And like, I had no idea I was doing that my entire life until I started like working a program. And so when I catch myself doing it now, that's a really helpful tool. I'll be like, I'm being the director and expecting everyone to be my little actors, but they're not in my fucking movie. Like I'm the only one watching the movie. But also
1: like, When you're the director and you don't have any kind of, like, real support around that, a reflection of that, then, like, you don't fire the actors. You just keep trying. You just try (laughs) harder. Like, you never cut them loose. You never choose different, more suitable actors for the thing. You're just like, come on, do it again. (laughs) I'm so mad at you for not doing your role. And then people are like, what are you talking about? I just bumped into you at the grocery store.
0: (laughs) So true. And then to take it to where we started about um, kind of implicating yourself as the problem, part of the reason you never fire the actors is because you're just like, I must not be giving the right adjustment in
1: these notes. I'm going to try again. I'm going to say it again a different way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're we're gonna play the shame game, okay? So I know you just listened to an episode. You told me so. You have some idea of what this might be like.
1: I can't believe how complex these stories are. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> this person grew up in Kansas in 1972.
0: She, <laughs> I know, really just because it's fun for me to to tell a to to spin a yarn in this way. Um, But okay. Okay. So here they are. So, oh, but in case this is anyone's first episode. So I'm going to present two scenarios to you. I want you to consider which would make you have a greater shame spiral. And then we will debrief. Are any of these based on reality? No, I feel, well, actually, that's not true. I have proposed, I have presented some scenarios to people that are kind of inspired by something that I have experienced or that has experienced to some that someone else in my life has told me about that they've experienced, but almost all of them are just from the ether. Like these are just, I'm, you know, these are not based on anything. All right. Okay. So you're a, you're a noted vegan. That's correct. Yeah. You are at, a party that you've been invited to by someone that you have admired and even idolized Mm. like in the entertainment industry someone in in the literary world or film and tv music it doesn't matter but like you're obsessed with them and you always have been and it's one of those situations where like you find yourself befriending someone that you were a fan of for so much longer I don't know if you've been in that situation I have and it's so intense yeah (laughs) Um and you want to you know you you want to be cool about it because you actually want to be their friend and yeah. you are their friend now but you know you you're holding that a little bit as well but you're so excited this is the first time you've been invited to their house and it's like a big party for some reason and you get there it's pretty fancy and there are a lot of hors d'oeuvres like on out and maybe even being passed around and you ask this person, hey, is, are things vegan? Are they not vegan? Like, just let me know. And she was like, everything's vegan because I just, there's a lot of vegan people here. I just wanted everyone to be comfortable eating whatever. Oh and Thank you're like, you, that's amazing. Person. Yeah, Thank you, famous person that I love. So you're really psyched about that. And then you're eating some snacks. Um, you eat a spring roll that looks delicious. And as you're chewing it, you're like, this is not fucking vegan. Like, there is meat in this. I know there is meat in this. You take another spring roll, you break it apart. You, let's say you even go to the bathroom. I'm doing an o- fucking autopsy it. in the bathroom. <laughs> you are. You're doing an autopsy <laughs> like a psychopath. I yeah. you know you're like yeah. peeling apart the layers of the spring roll. And you're like, this is me- this is meat, like this is pork or chicken or fucking something. Yeah. And you are so upset, not just that you ate the meat, but more because you were misled and you just are like filled with rage that it was so disrespectful and um, unethical. And then but you're like, I'm just going to let this one go. I'm going to talk to my friends about it later. It's fine. And, you know, you say goodbye to her at the end of the night. You kind of want to say something, but you're just like, no, work on this yourself. So, so you leave. It's fine. And then you're telling friends about it though, like for the next week, because you are kind of obsessing about it and how fucked up it was. And then you get an email from this famous person oh, no. that you admire and oh, love so much. Oh, no. And they're like, hey, Nicole. Can you please stop telling people that I disrespected you and all vegans by my friends at my party <laughs> because I heard through the grapevine and I wish you had just asked me because that was vegan meat. Ooh. And if you had just asked me, I would have told you that. <laughs> And now you're like, spread, like you're ruining my good name, and I'm so hurt and really upset. And then you write back, and you're just like, "I am so sorry." Like you're you're pretty vulnerable. You're like, "I I totally got triggered, and that's my that's on me. I should have talked to you about it." I was, I was in like a triggered state and then she just never writes you back and you're not friends anymore. Okay. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Why, who, I would be like, who betrayed me? I'd be like, we're having a a meeting. Like, Hey everyone, come out. And I lock the doors. I'm like, who amongst you?
0: (laughs) That is like really understandable. This turns into Uh the movie,
1: The Menu, real fast.
0: I, I loved that movie. I, I know people hated it. I really enjoyed it. I loved
1: it. it. I'm cutting off a finger for I'm like, I'm just sort watching The Sopranos. I'm just like, you want who wants to tell me who squealed <laughs> to Caitlyn Jenner? <laughs> Who's kidding, the snitch in <laughs> here?
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that. OK, so that's that's scenario one. Here's scenario two. OK, I just wrote this. What, oh, OK. So you have this is another friendship one. I was friendship themed today. I'm not sure why. Okay. So you have an old friend, um, a very old, close friend from childhood, like high school or early college, like very, you were once so close and you haven't stayed in great touch, but you have a place in each other's hearts Yeah, and you see each other once in a while. So that friend is coming to, you live in, you live in Oregon, right? I'm in LA right now. Wait, you live in L.A.? Yeah. I live live in both. I live in both. Okay. Okay. That's why I thought you still lived in Oregon. But I'll be
1: wherever you want me to be for this scenario.
0: Mm, Okay. Let's go with L.A. Because you're in L.A. And maybe that'll feel more resonant. So you're in L.A. And um, your friend is like, I'm coming to L.A. And I would love to see you. It would be so meaningful to actually get to see you in person. It's been like years. And you're like, yes, I will do that. And then but you're also just not feeling very social like that week. You're just kind of feeling like you want to hole up and be in a hobbit hole, that kind of vibe. And then the day arrives when she's here to visit and she's confirming and you're just like, I don't want to go. And then your partner is kind of just like, can't we just stay home and like, I want to spend time with you. We never get to connect and and you already don't want to go. So you're like, okay. And you cancel on your friend Yeah. and she is, is pretty upset and you're apologetic, but you also don't, you just don't feel you honestly, you just don't feel like hanging out and doing a, the kind of thing that has to happen when you're seeing someone that you haven't been with in a long yeah. time. You're not up for that kind of Engaging, so then, um, but you feel guilty also. So then, your friend kind of c- keeps calling you over the next couple months, and and tries to catch up, like wants to FaceTime, and and maybe because you're already feeling guilty, you're just like, it's that thing where like you're you're extra guilty. So instead of doing the right thing, which is talking to her, you avoid her more because oh, you're no. guilty. And then she ODs. So you just keep- <laughs> she doesn't OD. I didn't go that far. Okay, but. <laughs> She kills herself. (laughs) She ultimately, you, you just have avoided for so long and ultimately she texts you and she's like, Nicole, I need you to call me and you get the vibe that this is important you call her and she just says how hurt she is that you've been avoiding her and like that she really wanted to talk to you this whole time because she's going through this like horrible chronic illness stuff and she really really just needed your support and it wasn't something she wanted to text you about you know and you're and, and she's just She's, she doesn't, I don't know if it's cancer, Could be that's, cancer. that's a lot. I'm not going to, let's not say it's cancer. Right, I feel okay. like that's a little too much, but maybe it's like, it's, it's a big, it's a big thing. And she just, for whatever reason, it was you. She really wanted to connect with Okay. and she doesn't like disown you or you're still friends, but you, you really just have to like, accept how hurt she is by the whole thing and your behavior. So those are the two scenarios.
1: So I have to choose which one is more shameful feeling.
0: Yeah. Like just which one would like get you harder, like make you spiral more and longer.
1: I mean, honestly, I think that the first one would because I have been. My whole life is a series of me talking trash slash tattling and then getting caught because i'm not good at it like i'm a sagittarius but not all the way through like i have a lot of other stuff i just like i'm not good like i'll try to like pull a trick but i'm not good at it and so (laughs) Mm -hmm. like somebody being like i know you talked shit about me and now i'm really mad i would be like oh Because with the friend with the chronic illness, I feel that I could make amends to that. I can make that better. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that my initial thought is like, we haven't talked in 20 years. Why am I the person who's going to be your support person? But then (laughs) I could be that support person because maybe then when I call her, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This connection. And so then I could show up for her and like make that better, like living amends better. Like I can figure out my way out of that situation that feels wholesome. And like, let go of the, yeah, you ghosted her for three months, you were too yeah you couldn't deal, it's okay, versus like, yeah. look at that, like a little squealer squealing again, like talking <laughs> trash about this nice person who got some beyond meat spring rolls or whatever, <laughs> and then like she had to hear it from somebody else, and now she just thinks you're like an asshole,
0: mm-hmm. and then I'd be like, because I am. She's seen the truth about me. She's seen
1: the truth that I just, I'm just going to like tattle on everyone and like not say the thing to the person. I mean, side note, my own mother gave me a one-star Amazon review for my book, Calling Dr. Laura, which was a memoir about a family secret she had held from me. Readers, her mouth, her hand is over her mouth. I need you to know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the one star, it took the wind out of me. She did not Knocked it. She did it twice. She did
1: it also to my second book, Fetch, which in- involved my dysfunctional childhood. And Sheila, le- but that one got taken down because it was too abusive. Like friends of mine reported it, that one, and it got taken down.
0: So there was language along with the star?
1: Oh, both of there them. Was a- There's full reviews with both of them. Oh, my God, Nicole. From her reading like the back of the book and then giving me the reviews.
0: Damn, that is cold as ice.
1: This is like the deeper thing about me like tattling or like talking shit Uh is like this deep long form family shame of like you know you don't talk outside the family you don't talk about what happens you don't and then i would and then i get in big trouble
0: so there's like an impulse to do it but then the the repetition of being in trouble for it is so uh it has such long roots
1: i mean even me saying to someone like like somebody trying to like care for me, like in a food way and then it happening imperfectly and then me complaining about it and then getting something like you were complaining and then like all of that. I was like,
0: oh, no. Yeah. I want to ask you more questions about this scenario, but now I'm distracted by this one star review insanity. Can I ask, like how did you respond to that? both literally and emotionally like when that ha- when you saw that fucking review like the first time it happened
1: well i mean it's upsetting but it's weird my book came out it was about me finding out that she had kept my dad she had told me my dad was dead my whole life and i found out he was alive from a psychic so it's like a book about that time in my life like finding out about the psychic calling dr laura schlesinger um a talk show therapist mhm And when she found out that the book existed in the first place, she sent me all these mean texts that took the wind out of me and made me really upset. Like, why don't I can't, I heard you wrote a book about your pathetic life. Like, why don't you write a book about how much we loved you? Oh my God. And my stepdad was calling me being like, I forbid you from talking about your uh, supposed father and your, you've hurt your mom enough with your so-called lifestyle because I'm gay. And like, so I already like had, all of that. And then my mom, I guess, read the book and left me a teary message. That's the only time in my life has ever apologized to me. Up until that point, was her being like, I'm sorry. I'm humbled. I love you. Goodbye. So I was feeling good about that. I was like, wow, we really turned a corner. And then I mm-hmm. found, I hadn't noticed, I found that at some point before this like amends making moment, she had written this review, like left this little oh. poisonous dart in there. So it was like total, like two separate tracks will be happening at the same time that are quite confusing. So I found it later after she had done it and it was very upsetting. But then the thing I had in real time was her having a moment of acting like a normal person. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't mention it to her, I don't think. The second one, I just reported it like the second one i actually like posted on facebook i was like hey can people go like leave other reviews to combat this one star review from somebody and then people who people were like reporting it so i don't know. i mean it's quite troubling and sad and it's like worst case this is actually what drove me to uh anonymous fellowship programs because during this time when this was happening i was like i can't afford to go to therapy three days a week But I would Mm -hmm. love to go to therapy three days a week. I was like, here's this weird cult that my friend (laughs) took me to once that I didn't completely understand. But you know what? It is better than what I've got going on. So I'm just going to start going and maybe I'll figure out what they're talking about. Maybe I won't. Yeah. But I know everybody in that room has been through something fucked up with their family. Mm -hmm. And so we can all
0: vibe. Well, that's cool. That's cool that you found something that helped you move through that.
1: I mean, it's still,
0: it was heinous. It was a hard, it was a hard time. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm impressed slash curious about like your journey to make so much work about your own life, kind of knowing that your family might respond in this way.
1: I was thinking about this the other day, because when I started the book, Google wasn't what it is now. Like I had signed the contract for the book, and then my mom's friend got Google and I was like, damn it, Debbie. That was her friend's (laughs) name. I was like, Debbie. (laughs) Uh like my mom like learned how to Google. Because before that, remember it was like your parents would go through AOL. So it would just be like, what's on the AOL homepage? Here's her email. That's the end. But I have been keeping diaries and journals and visual diaries since I was a little kid. And they, you know, in retrospect, not at at the time I wasn't thinking this, but in retrospect, they were like the only place where reality was reflected back at me because my mom and I don't Mm -hmm. share the same reality. Mm -hmm. We just don't. We don't share the same emotional reality. We don't have the same recall of events. We're just living in different worlds. So as a kid, Mm -hmm. that was really troubling. And so it was nice to have a place where I could like, process and relax and just like live on the page and then go back to it and be like oh that did happen or or even i exist because i didn't because i was kind of like i was her third kid i was kind of a mistake surprise and i ended up being like just like a carry-on kind of like she wanted to like go on with her life once her other kids went to high school and then i was just like this like weird bonus like stinky weird bonus kid so Mm -hmm. i didn't have any real sense that i like even existed for real and so then having these things it was like oh i was here like i made a mark and then at some point i found riot girl zines in the 90s that were like super confessional girls talking about abuse mental health racism sexism sizeism classism like all kinds of stuff and i was like oh my god and then it felt like it saved my life in some way so then i was like well i want to mm-hmm. pay that back so i want to make stuff that's just as raw and vulnerable and then i found other girls and queer people that it really resonated with
0: i love that story i'm just thinking back to like that time like how did you find those girls and like queer community back then because this was this in like the late 90s early 2000s oh yeah
1: i mean i lived in kansas
0: you lived in kansas lived in
1: kansas i grew up that's where you're from right outside of kansas city yeah
0: Wow, you really had me fooled. I had a whole not that you did it to me; it's something I projected on you. Where was I from? I, you were from fucking Eugene. Like I had an idea (laughs) that you are one of those people that is like, I've I've always been in the Pacific Northwest.
1: My partner has; she grew up in Eugene. Maybe that's like, oh wow. Maybe like you were sensing that.
0: Maybe you have that vibe to me, like uh, people that I've met that are just like from Oregon. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. That's my guess. But know, it's an whatever. honor. So you're, but you're from Kansas. I'm
1: from, we, I grew up in Florida and Kansas. I had a new stepdad at some, I had like a couple stepdads. And one of them, we, we had to have like forced bonding days. Ugh. His name I'll say is Al. And so he was, my mom would call him my pal Al. And we would have to have like forced bonding days where we hung out with each other. Cause we really weren't, we weren't vibing. Like, I was like, I was dis- disillusioned. I was like, oh, this is just some man. It's like some guy my yeah. mom's phone like, who cares? And he was like, I'm yeah. trying to adopt you and you're not <laughs> taking the bait. Like he, but he also didn't really want a kid, but he like thought he should. Anyway, uh-huh. I made him take me to a cool record store that I knew existed. And at that cool record store, I bought a tape for a local ska band called The Gadgets from Kansas City. And going to their shows opened me and I got their tape. I listened to it. It had a, you know, anyway, I just, I found out about zines through like ska message boards after that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I was, some guy made a zine and I was like, what's a zine? And I sent him a dollar and it was so bad. This guy's zine was so bad that I was like, this is so stupid. I can make this. So I started getting into zines and like fact sheet five and different places where people listed zines after that but the moment was like the ska moment in the record store mm-hmm. with my stepdad buying me this like $5 cassette tape of a local ska band and me like writing to the their address being like can i interview you for my zine and they like came to subway Aww. where i worked and i interviewed them and gave them sandwiches and like it just like it went from there but from there i somehow found i got more and more kinds of zines and then i found like girl zines Yeah. And I wasn't a riot girl. I was because I was too invested in like punk male culture and they were not very into riot girls. But I had like a like a girl support group. But I was like, we're Uh not riot girls. We don't hate men. Don't worry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Which is such a drag now.
0: That's so funny. Oh, my God. I love hearing people's stories about before googling like how you found community like I it's so I also mostly grew up in Florida and then Illinois Mm. so very similar and I didn't find anything until I was in college but one of my the one of the first places I found queer community was on a Yahoo group Uh, remember those and it was a this is so shameful but also not no it's not because at the time It was wonderful, but it was a Yahoo group called Ani Talk. Cool. And it was just all people who fucking loved Ani
1: DeFranco. I mean, I at some point I would have been on that group, I'm sure, had I known it existed.
0: (laughs) We should just get on there and talk about Ani DeFranco. And we all knew people were like in long distance relationships and like everyone knew all the fucking drama. We would like meet up, take road trips to like meet each other, to see Ani. It was, but it was so important. It was like the only way i knew to find queer people because i didn't know any no
1: there was none where i was
0: none no none
1: my my wife kaya came out in a small town in oregon in the late 80s and whenever and it was quite harmful for her it was like didn't go so great it was like dead animals left on her car like the, the small town people of eugene did not or outside in springfield didn't really appreciate it but um She's kind of always like, well, why didn't you come out? till? Because you- I didn't come out. I came out as like bi in my zine in Kansas, but I didn't mm-hmm. come out, come out till I moved to Portland when I was 19. And mm-hmm. I was like, there were- mm-hmm. I just like, Kaya. you don't understand. There was nowhere to come out to. Like there yeah. was no like you would be like, I'm out. And then there's like not like butch lesbians in my <laughs> high school. Like there's not. Yeah, there's uh-uh. nothing but a knuckle sandwich there.
0: Exactly. Same. Yeah. I also didn't come out till 19 when I left left uh, Illinois and I remember the first time I saw like a butch lesbian I didn't know they existed Mm. and my theater I was like a big theater kid and my theater teacher who I loved so much brought her friend to come talk to us and her friend was like a Shakespearean actor who was doing one of those like all women do Shakespeare so and she was super mask like (gasps) classic butch dyke. And I remember I didn't know, like, I kind of knew I was queer, but I didn't, you know, and um, I just remember like watching her talk to us about Shakespeare. And I was like, I don't know what I'm feeling, but I'm obsessed with it. Like, I, whatever I'm feeling is correct. And so exciting. And I just know that I want to like, stare at this person who I did not know humans like you existed.
1: You were having your ring of keys moment.
0: I was having my ring of keys moment, but for (laughs) desire. Like, I was like, I don't want to be you. Yeah. I want to fuck you. And (laughs) I didn't know. (laughs) Like, it was so powerful. It was really powerful. And they were all like my teacher. She was like 25. Like this. They were young people. You know, I was 17. So it was like easy to project something. But I didn't even know what it was. Like, I didn't even know what I was imagining. I just was entranced.
1: I think that first like I saw I had so through zines, I found Outpunk magazine, which was a zine mm-hmm. from San Francisco. And there was but also I found something called Fat Fat Dike, a zine for fat dykes and women who love them. In one of these zines, there was two butches kissing, and like my brain just like exploded and melted. Uh-huh. <laughs> but also I had a friend who was a pen pal named STS, who I'm friends with now. And when she was like, I'm coming through with my band. And she showed up and she was like a grunge butch lesbian in Kansas. And I yeah, I was kind of like, yeah. I wasn't grossed out, but I was like, what? Like, she just was a different, she was she, but she was a totally different gender of person than I had ever seen in my entire life. And exactly. I was fixing it, but I wasn't like super attracted. I was like, my brain, I was just like, what? What? Like the record skipped.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then
1: totally. when I moved to Portland. Like I got it. <laughs> yeah, I really got yeah, it. Yeah. Like being around lots of different kinds of
0: lesbians and masculine people and kind of different gendered people. I was like, oh, okay. You can't imagine something you have no context for your collect the collective unconscious, especially then, it was so much smaller, what was available. So it's like you there was no example of any of that. So it's not even in the ether. It's just not there.
1: And like, even like, like Ellen, you know, it was like, there could be like a gal with short hair who's wearing yeah, like a lot of foundation, same. but it's different. Yeah. Like the kind of butch that's allowed on TV is different.
0: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Okay. So I want to make sure we have time for your shame story. I asked you to bring something in particular from your life that evoked a lot of shame. Do you, Have you decided?
1: I mean, I have three. There's two that are very recent and then one there's like, okay, so there's one about shoplifting, one about Monica Lewinsky or one about wearing a mask.
0: (gasps) Oh, no, I want to hear them all. Are they long? They're all short. Let's do all three. Okay,
1: the shoplifting one. My mom has to have open heart surgery. And I found out the other day and I was like in a fugue state. I was like, And and I have a tortoise. And Uh my cry for help is that I've recently become a top contributor to the tortoise Facebook group, the tortoise care Facebook group. She's like,
0: (laughs) how do you know you're a top contributor? Did you get a badge? Yeah. I
1: commented on something the other day and it said, Nicole George is top contributor. (laughs) And I was like, okay. I, and then everyone I tell is like, Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) You're like, yeah, (laughs) I'm in a bad
0: place. I'm in a bad place. Things
1: are tough. Things are tough. But so I went to, uh, a large corporate pet store, which I won't name, to buy a couch for my tortoise to cheer myself up so I could like take pictures of the tortoise sitting on a couch, It's like a tiny vegan leather couch for the tortoise. And I went there and I bought it. And then as I was leaving, I shoplifted a dog toy because I didn't want to wait in line. Like I was like mm. on the way out. the do- I used to be a huge shoplifter as a teenager. Just, so you know, okay. through this mom thing the past week, I've regressed 100 percent to crispy 17-year-old Nicole. Oh. And I, but I was like, oh, I want to get this dog toy for my friend Michelle T., our mutual friend, because I have it and it's a cool dog toy. And then I was like, yeah, I'm going to get it. And it was right by the door and I had it in my hand. It's not expensive. And then I was like, oh, there's a line now. And I was like, I'll walk to the car and then if I feel like it, I'll go back in and pay for it. Then I got to the car Mm -hmm. and then like a friend was trying to FaceTime me and I was like, whatever. And I went to leave and then as I was driving away, I saw two employees of this corporate chain go outside to kind of look around maybe for me and then i was like oh, oh no i've been caught and then i was like okay well i'll just go back later today because i was like because i don't do that anymore that's not in my integrity i and i this is my neighborhood corporate pet store by my house and i was like i'm gonna go back in and say i'm so sorry i thought of different scenarios i could make up i'm so sorry it seems like i i walked away i just got some really bad news about my mom my brain was fried i sh- meant to i just kept making up excuses and i was like and i'll just go back in and say like here's your seven dollars okay. and then i just didn't just more stuff happened and i was busy and so i just didn't do it and now i just feel shame i'm like can i even go in that store anymore will i get arrested can i call <gasps> the manager after two weeks or something and be like here's seven dollars do i wear a disguise and give the seven dollars to an employee i just was like That's my current, very current, this week, shame slash, I mean, maybe the feds are listening to this and they want to
0: come, come and get it. I think all of their attention is on you right now. Right? They're they're just at all, every resource they have is like, we got to catch that. Nicole Georges. Because I'm the director. Who stole from, (laughs) you're the director, you're the main character. I mean, when you were telling yourself that story, like- I'll go, I'll just go to the car and then maybe like, did you know on some level that you were not going back or, or do you, were you, did you believe that?
1: I knew it was an option because how I used to shoplift when I was a younger person was sometimes I would just like, try to look a little like dazed and walk out with an Mm -hmm. entire cart full of whatever (laughs) and just see how far I could get, but also have the backup story in my mind that i could tell them that i was just like conf- a confused 24 year old
0: totally of course i'm just flaky i'm just distracted
1: oh my god no i wasn't trying to leave i was seeing any pumpkins outside like just whatever yeah And my babies yeah. i was like gonna tell them my toddler was in the car i wanted or i wanted to check on my dog in the car and then i realized my dog had to go to the hospital and so i just <gasps> had to leave without paying for the dog toy <laughs> like all my stories are just And then I'm like, Occam's razor, make it simple, make it. And I kept trying to find the perfect story.
0: Oh my God. And all this, all the work that goes into that too, where you're kind of like acting, speaking of like being the director, like you're like in the movie where you're acting confused. It's so much effort. Yeah. And then like, I, I really, I understand kind of um, reverting to your old sort of self- defeating like because ultimately when we do stuff like that it just makes us feel like shit and it like confirms the old story i'm shit you know so it's like it's so hard not to revert to that though when you're struggling they're just like your old timey coping skills that are just right there for the taking
1: it's like ancient where i'm simultaneously like very spiky like i'm very hedgehog hedgehog hedgehogian right now spiky Mm -hmm. spiky but then also like Yeah, doing those weird things that are like, I'm invisible or not. "Eh, Don't look at me. Eh," Like,
0: not. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so when you say like you're reverting back to like 17 year old Crispy Nicole, that's what you mean?
1: Oh, yeah. Just like fresh out of my mom's house, I just was like making jokes to my friends that were like hurtful teasing, like cross the line into hurtful teasing. I was just like Mm. a little too surly, bristly, spiky. And just joking, 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 joking all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. And that is
1: what I've discovered in the past week. Like I'll like have a moment where I'm talking to my sister about like all of my like recovered, higher minded, like mom just is like this. Now we're the parents. Now she's the kid. like, I'll say all that. And then a minute later, I'll just be in a shame spiral for like having said a weird joke to a friend that like wasn't even true. That seemed like it could have hurt their feelings and like. Mm -hmm. It's like too personal. It's like a little too like.
0: Yeah. A little too cutting. Too
1: quick, too defensive.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Is a vintage, a vintage Nicole.
0: I can imagine that coming up when you're feeling in the landscape of a time when you, when you were so much more unsafe. Yeah. Like that you would get prickly. Like, just reflexively, even though that doesn't reflect the current moment. But when shit gets triggered like that. Yeah.
1: When I was growing up, there was no room for genuine vulnerability because there wasn't a safe container for it.
0: I think it's okay that you shoplifted the the dog toy.
1: Thanks. I mean, and I know that this is the second time Michelle T's been mentioned on the podcast, <laughs> at least. Uh, but I would have loved I to know. have paid the $7 for the gift for my friends. <laughs> But
0: instead, my life is on the line. To... <laughs> I'm going to have to rebrand this podcast as just conversations about Michelle T and shame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are you going to do to like deal with the shame spiral that you're having? I, I would normally never ask people that. But because we've been talking about recovery so much, I'm interested to know if you're kind of going to employ your program In this situation.
1: I mean, honestly, I'm about to go on a week long meditation retreat and then going straight to Kansas and then Mm -hmm. going to another thing. God willing. So I might do nothing. I might forgive myself during my week long meditation retreat where there's like a lot Mm -hmm. of opportunities for self forgiveness. But I I kind of would like to just like give them the seven dollars and be like, please let me shop here. Mm Sorry. Sorry. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you would probably feel better if you gave the seven dollars and then um you know it's that humility shit like when I was newly sober in San Francisco my sponsor and I was making amends for the first time my sponsor made me okay there was a restaurant because you lived in San Francisco right no I never just did.
1: visited a lot but my sisters you lived there for lot. years and years so I visited for okay. a long time
0: Okay. Well, there was some like cheesesteak restaurant, like right by the Lex. This is also niche. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, listeners, yeah. but like there was a cheesesteak restaurant by the lesbian bar. And one night I was in there super drunk and I, I stole, they had these. Okay. Do you remember the big red plat, like kind of see-through red plastic cups that like pizza hut had in the nineties and they were amazing just
1: trying to describe this to someone the other day and they weren't catching on and i was like they're kind of textured (sighs) and they're big they're so satisfying they're full of like pebble ice or whatever and you're so
0: yes and they carried so much soda and the texture of the cup was extremely satisfying in a tactile way so you know, I was drunk. They gave me one of these cups. I was just like, "Fuck yeah!" I've been needing this cup since 1998, and I stole the cup. Good. And then I didn't think anything of it, you know. <laughs> and then my spot. I told my sponsor, and I thought it was like a funny story. <laughs> and then she was like, "You need to give that cup back." No. And it was so humiliating. <laughs> I walked into this fucking cheese steak restaurant, and I was just like, "I have this cup. I'm." <laughs> I'm a sober person working a program of recovery. Like I had to give a whole fucking speech, but I have to tell you, I didn't. She was like, "You're gonna feel better, you're gonna feel lighter, and you're not gonna be. It's gonna chip away at your shame, and it fucking did. It did. I love that. It really did. I mean,
1: Mm -hmm. I do. I feel the heaviness of like another Mm -hmm. secret that's under. Like it's totally my. I'm the one that did it. It didn't happen accidentally. Did my mom didn't do it to me? I just fucking did it.
0: Well, whether you do or whether you don't, it's okay. (laughs) Can
1: I tell you this Monica Lewinsky story really quick?
0: Please. Okay. Please.
1: Okay. This one is, so I, just so everyone's clear, I am very pro Monica Lewinsky. I was a kid when all the trials were happening with Clinton and her, but I feel like she was taken advantage of by many people. And like, I was happy to see her getting a rebrand and she did a whole event about shame with my friend hannah oh, yeah and afterwards or like during that same time there was like just my friend hannah was getting honored at some like australian of the year award or something there's some Austra- there was something at like paramount Studios. it was a big deal i got to be this plus one going with her to this thing and we were sitting around a table and it was like monica Lewinsky was sat next to me at this table at this dinner this like awards dinner and i was thrilled and i was a little nervous And we were making chit chat because other people were busy. And so I was the person she had to talk to. And like, we were just chit chatting. And then somehow we started talking about our dreams. And I mentioned, I was, I don't know. And this came out not on purpose, but it just came out where I was like, oh, yeah, I'm like, talking about how I don't even have sex dreams because I'll weirdly like moralistic myself out of a sex dream. I was like, you know, like I had a dream about, like my veterinarian and like he wanted to have sex. And I was like, we can't, you have a wife. And I like moraled myself out of having sex, my veterinarian. And she got this kind of like this like stone kind of thing, kind of like descended over her. I feel like, like however I delivered this story was this sense of like high ground. Like I could never have an affair. Uh, What about your wife? And just, I could see her kind of like, do do do, like shutting down. And then she shortly thereafter excused herself and left the event. And I was like, stupid, you stupid bitch (laughs) on me to myself. (gasps) I was like, why would you say that to her? I was like, you can't say that to her. She doesn't know you. She doesn't know your leanings. She doesn't. I just it was like, I just felt like this woman had.
0: She's been through hell. She's been through
1: hell. She's been like stoned publicly for having an affair by like every person of all time. And then she sits next to this like person who looks like a homo freak who's like, even me, even I wouldn't have an affair. (laughs) (laughs) And I felt like (laughs) such a jerk. And I just like, all I want to do is make it right. I'm like obsessed with just like clawing. I'm sure she doesn't remember it anymore, but just clawing and on my knees being like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, you know, uh, oh my, that was the first thing that came to me when I was like thinking, I was like, what's a story I still feel shameful about. And I was like, this
0: story gives me a lot of shame. Because it's so deep and layered. It's, I mean, I cannot, I would just, I would spiral also so hard if I felt like I had contributed to Monica Lewinsky's public shame <laughs> and, and had like made her feel, was in her mind, another person who judged and condemned her for being a young woman that was truly taken advantage of.
1: And also she- <laughs> She had just done an event about shame and about like getting over shame. Ugh. And then like, I mean, and maybe who knows? Maybe something else. Up. Maybe she got a page. Maybe she's a doctor. She got a page. She got a, her beeper went off. She had to go. But to me, it seemed like this event was like she had to sit next to me. I said this thing shortly thereafter. The other people she wanted to talk to were busy or something. And she was like, I don't want to sit here anymore with this person
0: and left. I also can't believe you got to sit next to Monica Lewinsky. Me neither. What I mean, a gift
1: that I spoiled.
0: <laughs> but, but I mean, okay. But also, you don't know that she took it that way. And 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 what you said was not an indictment of her. It wasn't. You were talking about you. It's true. You were. It's true. But I understand why. Like, especially if you're someone who was raised to be thinking ab- too much about the impact of you on others, which I also was. Like, it's so hard not to be like, of course, my words that were about me negatively impacted her and I am to blame for her reaction, which is like, all of that is bullshit. But I understand that journey. Like, it's really hard. It's a hard it's journey. It's really hard.
1: It's a hard
0: journey. The hard road to hoe. Have you ever, have you thought about trying to reach out to her?
1: I mean, No. I would, except for I'm afraid it would make it worse because I'm afraid she, like, doesn't remember it, actually. And then I'm like, of course, here's exactly what happened. And I imagine (sighs) that you think it was bad because you're an adulteress.
0: Like, I just remember, (laughs) remember how you're uh, you're like the the number one adulteress in America. And I brought that up. (laughs) Everybody hated you like everybody hated you.
1: And then I reminded you of that. By saying this particular thing that I want to tell you again to say, I'm sorry for saying that because oh, I, yeah, I just want, I thought. <laughs> <And> I-
0: <laughs> it's so funny. Nicole. <laughs> oh, my God. Because it's also sort of like. I can see how it could make it worse because if she's sort of like, I just want people to see me as me and not as that. And then you're kind of like, no, no, no. So I see you as that, as we all still do. And that's why I was certain that this is what you'd be taking from the story.
1: So I think it's kind of like maybe like the 12 step thing of like you make amends unless it feels like it would hurt the person more. So now I have to find a way to make a living amends to Monica Lewinsky somehow, some way. I don't know what that is yet.
0: Thank you so much for sharing this delightful, relatable story. You're welcome. I love it. And I really, I just, I have like an embodied reaction of empathy for you around this. Like it would, I would stay up at night thinking about this. I don't know how you're ever going to let this go, to be honest. Should
1: I? So you think I should keep (laughs) self-flagellating? Because I can't. No.
0: I don't, I think that, I think you should, I think that you should really keep meditating on like that, um, what's yours and what's hers. Even if she, even if she did have that reaction that you didn't actually do anything to hurt her, you know, and that her hurt and her story, you might've evoked it, but it's like, that's not the same thing as. I didn't, I'm not Ken Starr. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. You are not Ken Starr. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: not Linda Tripp. And I, it's not my, yeah,
0: that's true. I fucking love Monica Lewinsky. Me too. I love her. Did you watch the, she's such a badass.
1: Did you watch the thing that, um, the Ryan Murphy American? Yeah. I loved it. I love Sarah Paulson as Linda Tripp. Fucking love Sarah Paulson. I saw her at a bar mitzvah, like, a few months after we finished watching my partner i finished watching we were obsessed with her linda trip and then we saw her at this party and i was like linda trip is here linda (sighs) trips at the bar mitzvah and then we like Mm -hmm. danced near her and so to us that's like us having like a really meaningful like we just danced like 10 feet away from her with michelle t and um like michelle t's husband oh i know who's but i know who's
0: but that's what you were like
1: michelle t's (laughs) husband was trying to take videos of him like spinning in a circle so he could catch her in the background of the video but uh, but my partner and i were not even like that's sarah paulson we were like that's linda tripp
0: i love that so much yeah she just melts into every single character she does she's a fucking genius
1: that maybe that's whose house i would go to in this fantasy moment (gasps) the fantasy moment is sarah paulson invites me to her house gives me a spring roll i'm like this bitch put meat in it i tell everybody then yeah. it gets back to her. She emails me, Nicole, my feelings are so hurt. And then we never
0: talk again. Never talk again. Yeah. You are no longer welcome. No, longer at my welcome. incredibly cool home. Yeah.
1: My last story is that I feel shame being the last person wearing a mask and everybody, nobody else wears a mask. And so now I feel like my friends, like I'm a crazy person,
0: but I don't want to get. I wish we could talk about that more. I also still wear a mask and I wear, yeah, I wear a mask when I go to shows, I wear a mask on the train, I wear a mask in the store. Yeah. Because like, why not? Like, like, just it feels like every time I think about not, I'm just like, but why not? Like, why wouldn't I? It hurts me not at all. Yeah. And it helps everybody. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no one wears a mask. And it brings up a lot of crazy feelings. It
1: makes Mm -hmm. me be like, I everybody, my eccentricity, my like, top contributor of the tortoise forum eccentricity is like reached maximum capacity my friends think i have like a fake illness and that i'm i don't know
0: Munchausening myself or something oh my god at a show recently at a comedy show recently someone one of the comics on stage was like "Uh, what are you like afraid are you oh are you afraid of covid and he like did the like um scary fingers (laughs) And I had a shame spiral after that because I was so like, I think I had too many feelings in that moment to have a witty response. So I said nothing. He said it
1: to you? He was doing crowd work?
0: Oh, directly to me. Oh, cool. Were you like... directly to me. I I just said nothing. (laughs) I was mute, which is the worst part. And I'm a comedian. I'm like, I should have said something funny and mean. But I said nothing. I just sat there. <laughs> I felt like I was in seventh grade. That's actually what happened. I became like 12-year-old me, which would just say nothing and feel like the freakiest freak in the world, you know? Yeah. It's bullshit. <sighs> Nicole. Yeah. Was there anything we talked about that as we were talking made you have a meta shame spiral?
1: Oh, yeah. All of it. I mean, the, met- the- all, all of it, it. All of it. The Monica story. The Monica story, the shoplifting, masking, also being the 12-year-old or seventh grader being like, mm, um, all of it is still alive in my body. My body keep- has kept the score of all of these and is reminding me of the score.
0: That sucks. But I'm, I'm, not,
1: I'm not like attached to shame, but I just I can tell these, mom- these places that I can feel like a little zing.
0: Yeah. They're still there. Don't you think that, I mean, and maybe this is just trying to make my... I'm, I'm, I am in a part trying to absolve myself of guilt in this moment, but like, don't you think that talking about it and letting the body have it, like ultimately diminishes it? Oh yeah.
1: I mean, this is like why, like I do the work I do, like the autobiographical stuff. It's like, it doesn't like resolve things, but it moves them. Like it moves mm-hmm. them somewhere. Like the shame of yes. my childhood isn't totally, it's not like it's gone. It's like, I'm like, I'm walking on sunshine. What a great childhood. But I just, it's not the same. It doesn't. The shame doesn't feel like it's like eating at me. Yes, but it is. But it has it has moved. It's moved somehow.
0: Totally. Yeah, I get that. Like you know when you kind of break an ice pack, mm-hmm. and things shift. Like it's like was was very rigid and hard, and then it breaks, and you can kind of like there's little you can feel the little nodules, yeah. and it's flexible. Like that's what I feel like trauma recovery is in it, a way. It
1: feels like you know what it feels like it feels like I can still feel the embarrassment. But with everything except for the, the shoplifting gives me the shame feeling because I know there's something I could do better right now. But the other mm-hmm. things I don't feel like there's anything I can do. I could have done better. So I just like the embarrassment feeling. But it's not that same yeah. as that, like, choking
0: out shame feeling. And that is that's so much more tolerable.
1: It's it's like, like I'm like, yeah, I, I was embarrassed. And I think about oops. But, um, yeah, it's much more tolerable.
0: Yeah, totally. Um. Two more quick things. You have a book that just came out. Do you just want to tell everyone quickly like what it is? Yeah. Where they can get it.
1: So you can get my graphic memoirs. So I have graphic memoirs that are about some of the things we talked about, right? Which is Calling Dr. Laura and Fetch, How a Bad Dog Brought Me Home. But my new book is called Dog's Breakfast, which is a collection of diary comics from the past 10 years. And you can get it. You could just Google it. With Nicole J. George's Dog's Breakfast, and you can find it anywhere. It's 500 pages of diary comics. Wow. You can read it chronologically, and you will get something different than if you read it intermittently. But you can also just, like, Mm. choose a page and
0: read it on the bus. Mm, It's like an album. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, with Mm. 500 songs.
0: And how do you feel right now as we're wrapping up? I feel so
1: glad I talked to you. I was like, what am I going to do? I'm in such a dark place. What's going to happen? (laughs) I'm so glad I talked to you. I could really, this could be a Joe Rogan, like four hour podcast.
0: A hundred percent. I wish we could keep talking. I really do. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shame Spiral. You can follow the pod on Twitter and Instagram at Podshame Spiral, And you can follow me at Ellie Kremendahl everywhere where I'm regularly posting fun and especially juicy video clips from the episode. If you're enjoying the pod, please subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps. This episode was edited by Teresa Gaffney. Original music was by Shadwick Wild, and cover art was by Cassidy Colonic. Thanks again so much for listening and spiral on, but not too much, okay?